Hi, and welcome back to Late Bloom in Love, the podcast about finding love when it's about blooming time. I'm your host, Amanda Klang. And on each episode of this show, I speak with a guest about love and relationships to find inspiration, encouragement, and ways to overcome barriers to finding love at any age. That's because I'm single too, and I have been for a long time. So I feel like it's a moment for me to try dating once again, and I'm hoping the guests in this podcast will help me find my own late blooming love. If you're in my shoes, I hope it helps you too. After each interview, my friend Shelly Morgan joins me for a check-in. She's been married for a decade and dated up a storm before that, so we're pretty much opposites when it comes to love. And since we're coming from such different perspectives, we have lots to say to each other. But first, let's meet today's guest, Dr. Tim Farmer. He's a professor at Montreal's Concordia University in the Applied Human Sciences Department. And he was my professor in a developmental psychology class I took there a couple of years ago. He helped me understand attachment theory, which describes the emotional system in our brains that motivates us to maintain close relationships. How this relates to the pursuit of late bloom and love? Well, that's coming up next. Dr. Tim Farmer, welcome to Late Bloom in Love. Thank you very much for having me. So I wanted to speak to you today because of something I learned or we discussed a lot in your class and that is mm-hmm. important in the discussion about romantic mm-hmm. relationships. It's attachment. And there's, there's a, a number of books that have been written in the last few years. One is called Attached about attachment and romantic relationships. There's one from Mm -hmm. 2020 called The Power of Attachment. They're a little bit, you know, self-help, give you some background. So I'm kind of hoping we can do a version of that here, offer Mm -hmm. some understanding of attachment, what it is and how to work with it. Because as listeners know, I'm seeking a romantic relationship and I have a feeling that some of these issues are affecting me and making it maybe a bit trickier. So I'm going to start by asking, Tim, what is attachment? How do we understand attachment when we're thinking about relationships? Okay. The way we, if you're referring to attachment uh, theory, attachment therapy, attachment theory, what we mean is the ability to have an intimate, and that doesn't mean sexual. It just means the ability to let down our barriers and be close to so children can have an intimate relationship with their parents. People can have without having a sexual component. So that's very important to se- separate. To have a, the ability to have an intimate relationship, to feel close to, bonded with, connected to another human being in a rich and rewarding relationship. That's what we mean by attachment. Mm, thank you. So why does attachment matter for our romantic relationships? And let me just be a bit more specific, attraction. Well, attraction can be purely physical. That has little to do with with, uh, attachment as we're talking today in terms of attachment theory. Um, that That can easily happen. And or we can feel attached, uh, feel connected to or attracted to, I should say, somebody. But then it's a sort of on again, off again, here again, there again. Uh, 
unstable type. And that really gets into the more of the details. Should I, do you wish me to explain the concept of attachment now? Sure, yeah. From the theoretical, from the theoretical. I'm going to try to do it simply. Okay, so according to the theory, there are four types, four basic types of attachment. There's what we call secure attachment. That occupies about 60%, approximate research says approximately 60% of the population. And that means that when uh, we are offered a relationship, we find ourselves willing to connect to this other person. Of course, it's not perfect, but it, we feel comfortable to connect, to let down our barriers, to take off our suit of armor, whatever you wanna call it, and allow that person into our lives. And and try to be part of their lives at the same time. Uh, sex may be part of that, but it's certainly, certainly not all of it or even most of it. Hmm. That's called securely attached. <clears throat> then there are people who are ambivalently attached or insecurely attached, it's the same thing. Uh, well, they're, they're insecurely attached and ambivalent in nature, hmm. um, or sometimes they call it anxious attachment. What they mean is, is that this is a person who's attracted to, wants to make a connection, but as soon as there's some type of intimacy, they pull back, they find it difficult to maintain. They often like the pursuit of a relationship, mm. but they find it difficult to maintain the relationship. The pursuit is the fun, is the excitement, but ultimately when it starts to grow more intimate, again, we're talking about interpersonally intimate yeah like emotional right emotionally intimate correct mm -hmm. where you where you have a sense of vulnerability right then they then they pull back they come mm. forward they pull back mm. <laughs> i recognize this yeah they can make their partner crazy because the partner mm -hmm. never knows what what depends upon what day of the week it is and what time of the day right so it's really t difficult then there's the next type of insecurely attached which are people who are avoided attached they get anxious and they wish to avoid relationships with others. They're, they tend to become across as cold or distant. Now, I don't want to exaggerate. I don't mean in some evil way, but they just find letting down barriers very frightening and they tend mm. to be uh, distant. They uh, may or may not send out small messages, but it's hard to make a close connection to them, yeah. period. Yeah. And yeah. then the last time, and both of those two kinds, the, the two insecure attachments like that, I just said, yeah. they tend to be around well, a little less than 20% of the population, around 18, 17%, depends upon the study. Yeah. And then you go to the uh, disorganized people, and they are um, people who really have a difficult time getting close to people in any way they yeah. they come across as this as as disorganized that's about four to five percent of the population and these are people who find uh it's just all but impossible to make contact with people they just it's just so disturbing to them so confusing yeah. to them now research does show that out of this five percent a significant number of them have um grown up in uh Abusive families. Yes. So abuse can be a significant part of, of this yeah. type of profile. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, so again, I'm just going to repeat because uh, I'm keeping keeping track for myself too. So we've got two basic categories. We've got secure attachment and insecure attachment. 
And the insecure attachment category can break down to people who are ambivalent. So they're not, they're the ones you were describing kind of the chasing dynamic. They're interested until the other person is interested, then maybe they back off. Because because once the other person shows evidence, then the person who liked the chase sort of excitement now, all of a sudden, they have to become serious. They have to actually that, let down their barriers. That's right. They have to become vulnerable. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you talked about uh, avoidant style of mm-hmm. attachment where people are just not just just getting involved in intimacies, as we were saying, like emotional connection and vulnerability is is scary right. and, and they yeah. would rather not or their pattern is not to. Mm-hmm. And the very the third uh, category you described is called is disorganized and can often be the product of, of, of abuse in childhood. And these are people whose responses are just all over the map, basically. Right. It's, yeah. it's, it, their responses are so disorganized that it is very difficult to understand how they could create an attachment with yeah. this type of disorganized behavior. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, all of this... Now, can, I, can I speak oh, about sure. secure one more thing? Yes. It is important to remember that when we use the word securely attached, we are not referring to people who are bulletproof, who are uh, super people, superhuman. Securely attached are not people who don't have emotions, quite to the opposite. They are people who have emotion, but they recover from injury uh, quicker than the other type of attachments. These Mm -hmm. people who are secure recover more quickly and get less, less depressed, less anxious. So it isn't that they're uh, uh, bulletproof as such, but rather that they're able to deal with difficulties in an attachment relationship in a healthier uh, and more functional way. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's important to keep in mind. And I'll just say that in all cases, all of us have attachment styles that, and it can be a mix of all of these, I know, and sure. it's all to do with our early experiences with our caregivers yes. over which we had no control and often over which they had no control. Sure. How, how, how many mothers have had postpartum depression? Exactly. Oh my. And many times not diagnosed. Exactly. And so they can be raising a child experiencing a significant, even possibly serious depression. Yeah. Yeah. And so the child, they aren't making the kind of contact with the child that, right. that the child would like. It's not that the mother doesn't want to, but no. she's struggling with her own depression. That's and right. the child is reading this as yeah. the mother doesn't care about me. Right. But that's not true. No, indeed. And, and so I, I think it's important. I remind myself and all of us that it's, it's not our fault. Like we're working, we, we get what we get and we get to work with it as adults. Usually that's when we start to see what's going on. And it's usually not the product of any deliberate mis- malintent. No, very, very yeah. seldom is it yeah. deliberate. And, and we grow up, the reality we grow up in with our mm-hmm. families mm-hmm. is what we think is the reality that yeah. everybody grows Normal. up with. We think everybody's family looks like yeah. our family. Yeah. And it's only when we're older that we begin to realize, oh, this is different. They don't do things the way we do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I want to talk about some of the strategies that people might use if they recognize some of their own patterns, especially in romantic relationships. Of course, it plays out in all our relationships, but this right. podcast is about seeking romantic relationships. Can I ask? Yeah. The more potentially intimate, the more potentially vulnerable, yes. the more your attachment style is likely to be triggered. 
whatever it might be. Right, right. So acquaintanceships, work relationships, it's not going to show up so much. Closer yeah, friendships, it's there. maybe. It's still, it's still there, but it's not so obvious. That's right. But in, in romantic relationships, often we feel the most vulnerable. Exactly. And that's where it shows up, exactly. whatever patterns we have. Absolutely. So it's, exactly. it's appropriate to talk about it. So yes, very I, yeah. So anyone who's listened to this podcast up till now will know that I am single. I am in midlife and I've been pretty much always single with, with small periods of time where I wasn't. And um, yeah, I'm trying to work on that and get some inspiration, some encouragement and, and skills development. Frankly, I think that's partly where it's at. So I just wanted to describe a little bit of what my experience has been and, and then talk about what my challenge is at the moment as I'm trying to meet somebody mm-hmm. and any input you want to offer. Of course, you have a, a, um, experience as a clinician, but you have not been my therapist. So you're just going to respond no, no, to what I've no. told you and you're just going to yes. uh, make observations and I'll be grateful for whatever you have got. So my uh, tendency is to be single and my tendency is also to feel very, um, it feels too very vulnerable to reveal if I'm interested in somebody. Uh, and yet and so I've noticed that I tend to be more attracted to men who are not available so uh, people who are already in relationships or just who are emotionally closed and I also find that the uh, chasing dynamic kicks in for me I am interested in someone and until they're interested in me and then maybe not so much and at the same time though I have outside of the realm of romance, I have long-standing friendships, mostly with women. I've, I've still best friends with my best friend from when we were 11. And I have lots of wonderful friendships that I really prize and a very close relationship also with my mom. So it just seems like with these dudes, I find it all a bit tricky, but I would like to have, make this kind of connection. So at Let this stage- Let me ask you a question. Yeah, May I ask you sure. a question? Absolutely. So I'm not, please understand, these are open-ended, yeah. inquiries to help make you think about things nothing more but how do you know you're at your age that you're so interested in these relationships well even though i've been mostly single and have had very limited experiences of being in romantic relationships i have mm-hmm. had some and um you know in my in these more, more recent adult years and uh or middle-aged adult years and there's great joy in that uh, this, oh, great joy. Yeah. And, and I recognize uh, the, the last person I'm thinking of in the short period of time, I think they call that the honeymoon. Uh, I wanted nothing more than to be sitting right next to him. And the, the whole, you know, I didn't think, I don't think I had the words for attachment system at that time, but uh, just the feeling of peace and joy and happiness. And I don't want to be anywhere else was absolutely present so okay all right thank you so um yeah okay i think that was a fair question thank you for asking um my my question is for now now i'm seeking to meet people i'm using the online dating system where you meet total strangers and i find it very difficult to feel any interests in any of the people even if they're lovely humans um i don't know is there based on what i've told you is there any uh, any thoughts that you have, any suggestions you might make, any strategies you might suggest? Well, when you, it's, you have said that one of your 
mistakes tends to be that you sometimes, not all the time, sometimes uh, find yourself attracted to partners who are not available. Mm-hmm. But what is attractive about that sense of not having them available? It, it's the hot and cold game that I feel I play more often. If someone is explicitly no, no, or not available, I, I, I hope I have the sense to step away, but it's more when it's intermittently seems possible. Okay. But you're getting confusing or unstable messages of some kind. That, that's what it feels like. Now, how do you respond to those messages? How I, do you respond? Yeah. Well, I feel elated when it feels like there's a little bit of opening. And then I feel very, very disappointed and sad and hurt when it feels like the door has been slammed. And how long could that go on for three days, three months, three months, years, what? Months, years. Months. So there's months of on, open, close, open, close, come close, go away sort of messages. That, that I'm reading. And yes, you're reading. Right? Yes, which, which I could be misreading, but that's what I think I'm reading. So why, why is that attractive to you? Why would pain and suffering be attractive to you? Oh, I mean, I, I talked to you a little bit before we started recording about my, the family I grew up in, where there was mm-hmm. divorce and some years of, of difficulties. So I don't know, are you, is, is it familiar feeling? I don't know. I, I'm not, wow. certainly not consciously interested in having that experience, but I do re-experience it. Okay. So that's a very powerful statement you made, that it's a familiar feeling. Mm. What does that mean for you? Um, I guess it means what it's an echo of feelings I would maybe had, you know, with my parents or, um, the familiar is often feels right. Even if it's feel, even if it hurts, it feels right. It's familiar. But my reaction to that is what's the pleasure? Uh, well, I guess what is the pleasure in repeating old patterns? I don't know. Is it's just. I don't know. It's not, it's not um, subjectively pleasurable, but maybe it feels comforting. Ah, okay. Comforting. What's comfort? Well, I don't know. We're talking (laughs) about you right now. So I don't know, but let's, let's talk about comforting. Um, Instead of pleasurable, let's use the word comforting. What's comforting about that kind of situation? How do you experience that as comforting? Well, maybe it's known territory. Um, you can't, you see the disappointment coming before you, you know, it's coming. So you can't be disappointed maybe. Well, okay. Let me talk by analogy for a moment. Okay. okay? Sure, sure. All right. So, um, this morning when you got out of bed, mm. you put your feet on the floor and you expected them to stay there. Correct. Correct. You didn't say, I hope I don't float to the ceiling and <laughs> hit my head. Correct. And that never passes your mind, right? Never. So the reality of gravity is comforting. It's something you know. Uh-huh. And it's comfortable. Okay. If you got out of bed this morning and you did float to the ceiling, yeah. what? how would you feel? Feel? How would you feel? Uh, well, out of control. Uh, surprised. <laughs> out of control. Surprised. Out of control. I have to agree with you 100%. It would be like, what's reality? Mm. Oh, my God. Has the whole has reality as I know it changed? Mm-hmm. So that 
sense of not floating to the ceiling, could we say is comforting? Uh, yes, because it feels safe. So we are comforted by having our reality reinforced. Mm -hmm. why, do we, why do we want reality to be what we think it is? Well, why is that so important? Why is that important well, for you? Well, isn't that our, our, our whole mechanism, our whole body and brain is designed to keep us safe, right? That's correct. The purpose of the ego is to keep us safe and stable. So the more you reinforce your sense of reality, whatever that might be, mm -hmm. the more stable you feel. You mm -hmm. may actually call discomfort comfort. Right. Because it is in a way comfort. It's comfort in the sense of stability. I'm safe. I know how the world works. Mm. If it didn't work that way, just like floating to the ceiling, you might think, oh my God, I don't know how to say, I don't know what the relationship looks like. I don't know how to, oh my God, what could happen? You know, so you lose your sense of, of security, stability by potentially entering a relationship um, that, mm -hmm. uh, and revealing yourself in an intimate way with somebody. Mm -hmm. So you're attracted to the, we all, not just you personally, we are all attracted to a situation which is, consistent and familiar with our past, mm -hmm. even though it may be unpleasant, at least it feels safe and stable. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good. Helpful. Let me ask you then, what kind of strategies would you suggest? It could be in relationship to what I've been describing or in general, people, people are often looking for a new romantic relationship and might encounter something similar that I'm describing or recognize that their own tendencies kind of work against connecting I, with someone. I, I would bet many of the people listening to your podcast, they have repeated behaviors that are not productive. Yeah. That's why they're listening to your podcast because right. they're interested. Yeah. It's hard to believe that we do these things to ourselves. It's very hard to accept it. Yeah. We think we know reality. And to have our reality challenged is very, very frightening. Mm. It's like saying, I know that I have to walk down the street on the sidewalk because that's safe. Mm -hmm. And now waking up and saying, oh, I have to walk down the street and the buses will run on the sidewalk. Right. Well, that's so confusing. You'd be very anxious walking down the street thinking the next bus will come in the street or the side. Like it's very disturbing. Mm -hmm. It's a high risk and it's difficult to make that choice. Mm -hmm. So we often make choices that reinforce our reality, even if our reality is not a positive experience. Mm. We still make those choices because it, it is our reality. So you must be willing to challenge your reality. And that's hard, hard, hard to do. Mm. It's very hard. Possible, though. Mm -hmm. Good. Hopeful. <laughs> Nothing says that you can't. Depending upon your life experiences, you, the problem is you tend throughout your life to reinforce that. So if you, are, if you have a more secure personality, yeah. then when you enter the relationships we were just talking about, you tend to see them say, that doesn't match the reality I want yeah. and step out of them. Yeah. When you see it and it matches a reality you've known, you, say, you tend, tend to say, yeah, that's how it is. That's how it's supposed to be. Right. And by knowing that, I feel more secure, even though I'm unhappy, I feel more secure. 
So you must be willing to take that step out. Now, the difficulty is to take the step out. It's an experience as death. Mm. It's as if the old me, Mm -hmm. I have to give up pieces, maybe small, tiny pieces at a time, Mm -hmm. small, tiny, but I, in order to have a new reality, a new intimate relationship, I have to slowly make changes and be willing to give up. And are those changes going to be experiences? Yeah, they are death. There's a death mm. of the old me. Mm, right. Um, I, I want to run something by you. This is something I was uh, reading. Suggestions mm-hmm. uh, pre- specifically for dating situations uh, for how to invite to, to invite more secure attachment behavior, like find someone who responds positively and to do these things, even if it's not your pattern. So for example, sure. don't, so in the, in the seeking a partner, like in the dating, don't play games. So that means don't hold off communicating. Like I'm not going to respond for three days. Uh, mm-hmm. Instead, um, uh, like express clearly what I want. I'm interested in seeing you again, to say it right off the bat, even if that feels vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the recommendation is like assess their responsiveness. So if, if I express my interest more readily and, and quickly than normal, and the other person's reaction is to be standoffish, then I can read that as hmm, maybe his attachment isn't so secure. And maybe that's not what I want. Well, the only thing I agree with what you everything you just said, except that last, it's true. Maybe you are reading them correctly. Mm. But I'm very big on checking things out. I don't believe that we are real good at reading that kind of thing. Uh And that we may be reading somebody who's, who's um, delayed in their responses, that maybe they're just a little more cautious, but not, maybe they are interested, but you've come across so strongly. And I don't mean that bad. I I think it's fine. I'm I'm not implying anything wrong that they need a few seconds or a few minutes or a day to think it over or something. And that's not bad. That's a secure relationship. Somebody who doesn't jump intimately, immediately, quickly. So instead of making assumptions about there is to ask, how, how are you feeling? What do you, how do you react to my comment? That kind of thing. Oh, ask the person, ask Ask the person instead of thinking, you know, you you see them close their eyes or blink or turn to the left or whatever it is, think that you know what that means. You might, I'm not saying you're wrong, but you don't know you're right. Exactly. Everybody's different. So I'm very strong on asking questions and checking it out. Yeah. How are you feeling about this? And you don't have to say, I noticed that you blinked your eyes. Three right. times. What does that mean? <laughs> Just say, how do you feel yeah. about what I said? Or how do you feel about pursuing? Nice. Or, that's so simple. Yeah, it's okay to ask questions. There's it nothing is. wrong with that. And that's, a, you know, that's communicating more and, directly, and, but sure. That's not but gen- like gently, not making demands, just just being requests curious. are not demands requests yeah. are not demands how do you feel about this yeah. is not a demand yeah the demand is now if you're not playing games with me i expect you to respond right well, that's, oh, not, that's, that's not so helpful yes no that's, that's not, not very that's good a demand. so a request is not yeah. a demand they're quite different yeah request how All do you right. feel about it what do you think about it etc just just that alone is actually really wonderful advice i know you're not really in the advice business but 
and no. a, a useful observation that has a direct application. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In in terms of Tim, the uh, on on the hopeful kind of end of things, and and people having the potential to develop a more secure style of attaching to their romantic partner, because that's what we're talking right. about. Um, mm -hmm. You said earlier it is possible, but it's not easy. And I think there's, right. but there is research around it, and there is there is uh, there are numbers like how how long if a person is in a real if a person has a not an insecure attachment style and they meet somebody who has a secure attachment style and spend some time together, what 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 are the the rules of thumb for how long it might take for the insecure person to develop you know, different? I, if strategies? you know the rules of thumb, then you can share them with your audience. The truth okay. is, I don't have the answer. Okay, if I heard. I, had I the heard. Answer, I would tell you. Oh, fair enough. I heard between two and four years, but I mean, yeah. I guess th that doesn't really say much because who knows, right? Every situation is different. But I suppose it That's just. Right helps counter the notion that this is an overnight process that you read. It definitely is not overnight. And, if, it is, and if, if it happens overnight, there's a problem. That's right. that, that right away would be scary to me if it right. happened overnight. Okay. Um, you want to be paying attention, having an open conversation. I do know that uh, after the romantic uh, six months or year of a relationship, yeah. that there's a tendency that partners talk uh, would, would take a guess how many uh, how much time per week do uh, outside of sex and mm -hmm. and pass the salt and yeah uh, did you have a good lunch and stuff like okay, that so outside real, of that real week? How, how, okay I'm gonna guess week. I'm gonna guess uh, two hours 45 minutes 45 minutes I was under yeah. guessing I was that's under the research that's the research okay. 45 minutes so you need to keep, keep that 45 minutes honestly, genuinely fluffed up to two hours, three hours, as much as you can, number one. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, that takes work and effort. My, my wife is very good at that with me mm. um, uh, because of my visual impairment. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have to work very hard to succeed or accomplish things. Yeah. And that's okay with me. I mean, that's just, that's the card you're dealt. So I do it. Yeah. So I'm often exhausted after planning a class or something like that. Yeah. But my wife doesn't, you know, she doesn't harass or bully me. She makes it nice. She makes it pleasant, but she goes out of her way to sit down, be sure we eat together, be sure we mm. talk to, you know, we turn off the TV for that period of time, mm. things like that. Well, um, Tim, I want to say thank you. I, I feel like, do you know what I feel like? I feel like uh, my level of calm has increased considerably, especially in the last maybe 10, 15 minutes of our conversation when, when I invited you to do a bit more talking and you talked about asking questions um, mm -hmm. of the other person with yeah. curiosity and, and yeah. not demands and, and in... I don't know. I interpret it just mean kind of slow down and check in with myself sure. in this case. And then I don't know, take things step by step and, and emphasize think keep in mind kind of calm communication is a big part of what helps connection. Yeah, try not to make assumptions. We all like to make assumptions. I know what's happening, yeah. but we say we know what's happening according to our template. 
And you don't really know what the other person's no, template is or the reactions really mean. You might be right. I'm not saying you're wrong, but you don't know you're right until you ask. Yeah, no, that's really good. Well, listen, I really want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I really uh, got a lot out of it, and I'm going to be keeping some of these ideas in mind. So thanks very much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me again. Shelley Morgan, thank you for joining me again this episode. How are you? I am fabulous. It is my pleasure, and I'm excited to be here. Oh, I love it, too. I got to say... I got some feedback from my mom. She said how much she loves hearing you. Oh, I love her. She <laughs> knows that. I love her so much. I do have a good mom. Yeah. You do. <laughs> okay. So this episode, we heard from Dr. Tim Farmer, who's a professor at Concordia University. And I have this nice quote. It, this didn't come up in my conversation with him, but attachment is the biology of love in our brain. Wow. And so particularly when we talk about romantic relationship, the whole attachment system that we all have, because it's what keeps us alive when we're tiny babies, it fuels the fire of sexual desire and pleasure at the beginning of relationships, keeps that fire really hot because we want to connect and stay close to this person. And then yeah. that fire cools as everyone has observed at one point or another but that's it's the whole attachment system that's working when we have that intense need to be with somebody in the early stages of a romantic relationship and when there's more stability with time it doesn't have to work so hard to keep us close but I think from my experience we have to work after yeah. that no 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 we have to keep working but but the biology isn't working to keep the intensity yeah, yeah. as high yeah, and that's yeah, and that's why relationships are just plain hard work. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Well, you know better than me because you have been in your current relationship for a good long time—fourteen years, I think you told me. And yeah, fourteen years, ten years yeah, of marriage, and four and, years before yeah, marriage. Really working on it. You talked before about uh, premarital counseling, counseling that you did with Garfield, and then I just know you guys talk a lot. Unlike what uh, Tim Tim Farmer was saying. The average couple, I guess that's maybe in North America, spends 45 minutes actually talking away from everyday concerns and kids or whatever, just talking the two of them. I think, I think I know that you and Garfield spend a lot more time than that in a week connecting and talking. Yes. I think even COVID made the connections um, even more intense because I work from home and he's an artist and his studio is here at home as well. Um, so he is my co-worker and I am his atelier, <laughs> you know? Um, so, <laughs> so there is, and, and, and you have to, you have to be very deliberate in that um, connection and securing that attachment. Did you recognize yourself in any of those descriptions, the four types, one secure and three varieties of insecure? I am definitely secure yeah, attached. That's what I would have guessed. Um, yeah, I'm very, very, um, it's so funny when I heard him, I thought to myself when I was in my twenties, I would, and I was out in the world, you know, my parents are from rural Jamaica and I was in Kingston, the capital of Jamaica. And I would always say to my friends, 
no matter what happens, I know I can go back mm-hmm. home. And what about you? I think uh, I'm some combination because um, I'd say in my friendships, I am on the more secure side, I think. That means you can kind of weather ups and downs a bit. My my best friend who I'm going to be visiting soon, we've had lots of fights over the years, but we come through. <laughs> but in uh, romantic relationships, which as Tim was saying, is sort of the area of life where we feel most vulnerable often. And that's when the attachment patterns become most visible. Uh, I think if I look at the definitions, I'm some combination of avoidant ambivalent. So avoidant is fearing being vulnerable and preferring to avoid it. So like, let's just steer clear of this whole enterprise. I think that describes me. And then ambivalent is the, the mixture. Like sometimes it seems like a good idea and maybe sometimes not. I'm, I'm there with you. I, I Knowing you, I, I think I agree. But back to why we are here, this is late blooming mm-hmm. love. We really don't have that years of lifespan to Left. be you mean not <laughs> hurry up. Very, yes, yes. <laughs> Get it together. It's there for all of us. <laughs> So I think that, I mean, one could use the fact that this is late blooming love and love is a risk. Relationship is a huge risk. So really stepping out and stepping away from our comfort Mm -hmm. zone um, or, you know, and, and really moving in that place of love or not love. I want to be with you. I, I enjoy, I'm enjoying this. Can we see each other mm-hmm. again? That would be mm-hmm. nice. Um, I think you just got to take them risk. Yeah, I, hear you. I think you're right. I, I mean, think you're right. But something I noticed in the conversation with Tim was uh, I, when I was listening back to it is how high my anxiety was in the earlier part. I could hear it in my mm-hmm. voice. And then mm-hmm. as we went along in the conversation and he talked a little bit about some strategies and it kind of came down to, to me anyways, breathe uh, and oh, like ask questions of another person. Don't assume I know what the other person is thinking. Give myself a little space. Like don't go all speeded up and then run into the wall and then run away, which I, I, <laughs> describes me a little bit. So I found that really helpful actually just to hear it. And to it was kind of like I was living it as I was listening back and, and, and realizing, okay, there's another way to do this. And, and just even like with these online dates, oh my God, online dating. Or, I mean, it's not just even just online dating. It's just just dating, getting out there and making yourself available and enjoying those who are available. Um, but I believe that change is possible. Me too. Right? He said something that I really, really loved, um, Dr. Mm-hmm. Farmer. He says, challenge your reality. That reality is that continuous behavior that we've had for decades. Um, but we really need to challenge it. Um, why not put yourself out there? Why not be vulnerable? Yeah. Uh, not being vulnerable has not given you what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, challenge your reality. It's hard, but again, it's possible. And similarly, change is definitely possible. It has to be. I agree. And I think for me, just kind of slowing things down is a, is a helpful place to start. At the core of it, we just want to be able to genuinely love ourselves and to feel that kind of genuine love from those around us. Um, 
I want to say just a quick thing about the next episode's guest. Her name is Emily Nagoski, and uh, she wrote this book called Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life. So this is sex, one of your favorite topics, my sweet. Yes, we're getting to the good stuff. But but this, um, this author, Emily Nagoski, she's very sex positive, but she's about a bigger transformational change, social change, thinking change. And she, she says she's part of a global multi-general process of dismantling sex, negative and oppressive messages around sexuality. And of course that especially affects women. So, yes, it does. Ooh, yeah. that's exciting. Yeah, Ooh. no, she's, Ooh. she's the real deal. She's really, really great. So I'm excited. I can't yeah, wait. I think, I think you'll, you'll appreciate her. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you, Shelly Morgan. Always so happy to see your face and to hear your voice. And I'll talk to you soon. I love this. Mm. Love you. Talk to you soon. Me too. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much to my guest, Dr. Tim Farmer, professor in Concordia University's Applied Human Sciences Department right here in Montreal. And thanks, as always, to my friend and co-conspirator, Shelley Morgan. This has been Late Bloom in Love with me, your host, Amanda Clank. Thanks so much for joining me here. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. Meanwhile, you can find out more about the show and catch up on past episodes at latebloominlove.com. That's Bloomin, B-L-O-O-M-I-N. You can also leave comments or questions there. We'd love to hear from you. And be sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram pages, Late Bloom and Love. Catch you next time.